Father in heaven, Father, we are again thankful to be here. Lord, we believe your promises. I probably should say help our unbelief. Sometimes we waver. Um, but Lord, we, we hear what you're telling us, your claim upon our life, your call to us to be your disciples, to be your witnesses. Lord, we're looking to you for strength, for wisdom, for guidance, and we believe that you hear and answer, and we thank you for that. For we prayed in the name of Jesus, Father, we want to see his name glorified and his kingdom uplifted and established. We look and long so much, Lord, for the soon coming of Jesus and when we can be forever with the Lord. Now guide us in the remainder of our class today. Give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. Lord, keep us attentive. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So I know some people are watching the stream, and I'm glad you're joining us. I want to thank you guys here um, for staying with it. It's been a long day, but uh, a lot of important stuff. Now, somebody asked me this question during the break. We read this statement where it says, not even once should we think of failure, which is, it, it's, it appears to be contradicted because the next statement said, if we fail 99 times. So let me put this in context with the question that was also asked me. Uh, somebody said, you know, we shouldn't think of failure, but what happens when we do fail? For example, giving a Bible study to some people or having a group study, we come to the Sabbath, and after the Sabbath they bail out, they say, we don't want to study anymore. Question, is that a failure? No. I'm going to tell you something. We are very poor judges of success. I can't even begin to tell you because I don't know. I do know several cases, but there are, I don't know how many I don't know of people who have come to Christ because of a failure. I'll give you one example that I've told before to some of my students, and that is, how many of you know Dr. Fred Harding with the uh, General Conference? Dr. Harding comes from a family of Hardings, Dr. Mervyn Harding, uh, Dr. Leslie Harding, who have worked in, uh, Dr. Leslie Harding was a theologian in our church, um, has passed away now. Mervyn Harding worked in, in the medical field. Uh, Dr. Fred Harding is, works in the health and temperance department of our, I don't know what his official title, title is of the GC. Um, it's interesting how his family came to the church. There was a young girl who was magabooking. You know what I mean by that? Selling the door-to-door -door books and, you know, you have the message books and you have the cookbooks and she's going to go door-to-door -door selling books she came to the house of the, the older Hardings, the, the mother and father of, 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 well, I don't know if the relation between Leslie and Mervyn, but, but the parents of some of them, and then, you know, trickled down. You already kind of get the idea because the rest of them are in the church. Didn't start that way. Mr. and Mrs. Harding were not Christian. They were living in Calcutta, India. Girl goes by selling the MAGA books. Now, in India, a lot of people are vegetarian, and the older Hardings had decided that they were going to try, at least Mrs. Harding, that she wanted to maybe go that way, venture into vegetarianism, but she wasn't sure where to start. Now, that's a little backstory. So this girl knocks on the door with the books, and when Mrs. Harding comes to the door, she is very rude with the girl, just lets her have it, you know, and the kind of experience that you really dread the most. If you're going door to door, you're like, I sure hope I don't have one of those. It was one of those. Slams the door in the girl's face, and so she makes her way on down. You know, you get somewhat acclimated to that as you go door to door. But Mrs. Harding was bothered. 
And that girl went away and her door was slammed and she slammed it. And she was thinking about it. She thought to herself, I don't ever treat people like that. I, I don't ever treat people that rude. Why did I do that? And it so bothered her that she felt she needed to go find the girl and apologize. So she went out of the house, went down through the streets, and looked, searched up and down until she found that girl. And she went up to her and she said, I'm so sorry for how I acted back there. I don't ever do that. I don't know what came over me. What do you have in your bag? So the girl begins showing her the books and she comes to the cookbooks, vegetarian cookbooks. And she said, you know, my husband and I have been trying to go vegetarian, but I just don't know where to start. And the girl says, well, this book has some great recipes, and I can come by and help you out. Wow. So they arranged the appointment, and the girl went and started going over and helping her cook, and then they got into studies, and then the older Hardings became members of the church and had produced a family of Hardings, Amen. all from a slammed, all from a failure. Mm-hmm. That's one of many stories I could tell you about a parent failures that were not failures at all. So when we use the word failure, we have to be careful how we use it because there are no failures when you witness for Christ. The Lord uses what you do, and sometimes maybe it's exclusively for them, and sometimes it's exclusively for you. Maybe that experience that you went through, it's up to people to accept or reject. There are people you're going to share the truth with now. It's seed that's sown, and, and don't miss this point. There's something that we have talked about as Seventh-day Adventists that we call the latter rain. We talk about, and the reason we talk about, uh, we talk about evangelism and, and soul winning in the context of, of planting and harvesting, right? And we do that because that's what Jesus, how Jesus talked about it. The latter rain in Scripture is the harvest rain. That's what it is. The early rain was the, the rain that would come after planting, but the latter rain was the rain that was needed to bring the crop to harvest. Prior to the latter rain, you didn't have a harvest. In the spiritual realm, keep this in mind. There have been a lot of seeds planted by God's people and cultivated, but we have not had the harvest rain yet. Amen. And you can't criticize the harvest before the harvest rain has come. And, and, and we will all be shocked at how, what kind of harvest there's going to be. So there may be somebody that you thought rejected the truth completely. I was just, we were just talking this morning. There was somebody they highlighted. I wasn't here, so I don't remember who it was. One of the people they highlighted on the platform the other night that came to a series of meetings, uh, pa- uh, Pastor Dan Towers meeting some 2006 was the first contact they had. I mean, so don't be careful how you ju- what you judge as failure. Bible says, in the morning sow your seed, in the evening with not your whole, do not withhold your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. God will bring the harvest. He promises to bring the harvest. You do your part and leave the results with him. And that's what that statement was trying to say. Uh, don't conjecture as to success. It may look like failure to you, but it doesn't look like failure to the Lord. The Lord's not done with it yet. There are people get mad. They'll stomp up and down. They'll throw things. They'll yell at you. That could be all the best news in the world. Amen. It might be the first thing that shook them up to actually start thinking about where they're heading. Now, I'm not telling you to go make people mad. I'm just... <laughs> Don't get discouraged out of soul winning. 
Let me show you a passage here. I don't know that um, we'll go over it other time this week. It may, it may come up, but it just is something I feel like I, I ought to go over now. This is one I usually go over. In fact, I, I think I probably would have gone over it in Keys to Success. But let's look at Gal Galatians chapter 6. Now, this is talking about the harvest of character, but it works well for the harvest of souls too. And you'll see what I mean in a minute. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It's a great verse. There's a whole lot in this little verse. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Bible says, let us not grow weary while doing good. Why do you tell somebody not to grow weary doing something? Let me ask this way. If you were going to a vacation in the Florida Keys, you think it would make, I don't know, maybe that doesn't sound appealing to you. It sure sounds appealing to me. Not right now, necessarily, but not during hurricane season. So let me change that. If you're going to vacation to a place that you really want to go, maybe it's the Swiss Alps, so I don't know where it is. Do you think it's fitting for somebody to say, boy, I hope you don't get worn out doing that? I mean, is that really something you usually think about? Are you thinking, boy, I'm going to get worn out on vacation? Probably not. If you're going to go do something you like and you're looking forward to doing, no, getting we growing weary is usually doing something that tends to make you Weary <laughs> tends to make you discouraged. Now, the reason I say that is the first thing the apostle says is don't grow weary in doing good. In the context, he's already telling us what I'm, te what I'm he's saying this to us. What I'm about to tell you about is something people can get weary doing, something, something people can get overwhelmed with. Don't grow, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall what? Reap, Reap if we do not faint or lose heart, it says in the New King James. Now, we're talking about harvesting and reaping. Is it something, is soul winning something that you can get discouraged at? If it wasn't, why would he be telling us not to lose heart? If it wasn't something that you could get weary at doing, why would he be warning us this way? In other words, he's telling us that soul winning is work. When you're going out to get a harvest, there's work involved. But don't let it get you down. He says, let us not grow weary, for in what? Now, I like to ask this question. Due, due season can be a lot of times, but there's one time that due season is not going to be. There's one time that due season will not be, ever. And when is it? No. When I say due season, if I say, you know, in due season it's going to happen, when am I not talking about? Right now. Right now. Okay, the past, yeah, it's not going to happen in the past either if it hasn't happened yet. But due season is not now. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because when we're witnessing, when do we want to see results? Now. <laughs> right now. Does the apostle say in due season we might reap? No, we will reap. There's going to be a harvest. Don't get discouraged by it. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep at it. In due season we will reap. It may not be now, it's not, it may not be in your timing, but it will be in God's timing, right? In due season, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen now, but it's going to happen in time. I can that's so important for us to get, because we, why do we get discouraged? And incidentally, we're not done yet, because he goes on to say, in due season, you will, not might, you will reap, but there is an if. 
if we don't lose heart. And what's another way of saying lose heart? Get discouraged, right? Listen to me. The devil knows, and don't miss this, the devil knows it better than any of us, that the way he's going to get this over on you, the, way, the only way he can defeat us when it comes to our witnessing is to get you discouraged. The only way he can get you out of the Christian life is to get you discouraged. Look, if you stay at it, you, it's, he's defeated. It's done. If you keep at it, the apostle says, you're going to have a harvest. It will come. There's only one way it won't come, if he can discourage you. And he discourages us because our expectations are wrong. Right? We want it now. We say, oh, well, I gave this Bible study and they didn't join the church. I gave this Bible study and they didn't come to church. I gave this Bible study and now they're not, I don't know where they are. They said they don't want to see me anymore. Okay. Maybe you sowed and another one's going to water and another one's going to harvest it. Amen. But don't get discouraged. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what the Bible's saying? That's the counsel that the Bible's giving us. Have faith in the Lord. Again, it's His work. He's not going to let you mess it up. He's not going to let me mess it up. He's not going to do it. And, and in a strange sort of way, in this great controversy theme that we're in, you know, the devil's looking for anything to call God out on. If there's anything God does wrong, the devil's ready to say, look, you could have saved this person and you didn't. Look, in the great controversy, in the scheme of the great controversy, that's his whole argument is God is not as loving as he makes himself out to be. I'm going to tell you that if he could in any instance say, God, you could have done more to save that person and you didn't, he'd win the day. You think he's going to let that happen? You think the Lord's going to let that happen? Lord, if you wouldn't have used Janice, if you would have used somebody else like an angel, you would have reached that person. If that were true, then the devil would have a good reason to throw back at God. You think he's going to let that happen? No, he's not going to let it happen. So don't let the devil tell you that. Oh, it's just because he used me and I messed it up. He's not going to let you mess it up. He's not going to let you mess it up. You know, sometimes the Lord, I hate to say this, but he does this. He, sometimes the Lord sends us to, and sometimes the people God brings into our churches are the bulletproof, I call them the bulletproof people. <laughs> I mean, you know, they come into our church. You know, you ever have people come, you ever look at your church and the way sometimes the people in the church treat the new people? And they're like, Lord, what did I do to bring them into this church, right? You know what I'm talking about, or is this just me? I hope you know what I'm talking about a little bit. I'm even more scared, because the reality is not all the saints treat new members nice. And you think, if I was that new member, I would never stay. But God brings the, bull the bulletproof people in. They, just, they, can, they can weather it. They go through craziness, and they stay in the church, and they praise God. And they put up with some of our poor witnessing skills, right? That's what I mean. I mean, you go and you're like, oh, I put my foot in my mouth, but somehow they still stayed. Somehow either God made that person bulletproof or he just held their ears like this when you were being a fool or when I was being a fool, right? I mean, that's because he already knew it would happen. My point is that Lord is not going to let his great plan of salvation fail because of us. He wouldn't have asked you to do something for him like this if he didn't know that you could be trusted. And that's awesome. I want to finish up with just a couple thoughts here. Now, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus said, You shall be witnesses unto me. Our theme this week at camp meeting is as a witness. What is a witness? What's the first qualification of a witness? 
you've got a car accident. You've got to know what happened. And so you call on a witness. Somebody needs to testify in court of what happened. Who are you calling? You got somebody who gets up there on the bench, and they begin asking him the questions. So what did you see? Um, see? Well, actually, I really, I really didn't. Well, kind of my view was, I, I was, well, actually, I was getting ice cream over here, and I, I, wasn't, I didn't actually see. Well, what did you hear? Well, here's the thing. I have my headphones in, and I really I have my music turned up, and I really didn't hear anything. I mean, what kind of witness is that? So what is the qualification? What are you looking for? Somebody has to have a first-person experience. You saw it. You heard it. Somehow you got that first-person experience. That is the... Let me ask you this. A person sees the accident. He gets into the onto the witness stand. The judge says, do you have a doctorate degree? No. Do you have your theology degree? No. Do you come from a wealthy family? No. Does he care? No. no. What is the one qualification? First-hand experience. What's Christ's qualification for you? Because we we're still talking qualifications a little bit here. What's his qualification? What was the qualification, qualification for the demoniac? How could he send the demoniac out to witness for him? Because he had a first-hand experience with Christ. That is the qualification to be a witness for Jesus. Let's look at some Bible examples here. 1 John 1, 1 through 4, I love this passage. John, uh, John establishes, establishes himself as a witness here in 1 John chapter 1. First John 1, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word, capital W, of life. He's talking about Christ. What's the very first thing he says repeatedly in that verse? I'm a witness. I, I, I have a first-hand experience. We who are testifying of Jesus, we are witnesses. We have a first-hand experience. We've seen him. We've looked upon him. We touched him. Verse 2, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have... <laughs> yeah, are you picking up a pattern here? That which we have seen and heard... We declare to you. What was John? What was his occupation before he became a disciple of Christ? He's an uneducated fisherman. What's his qualification here? Look, I've seen him. I was there. It's not a fairy tale. And you've got to understand at the time first John, the, the epistles of John were written, people were questioning whether this all really happened. You know, time had gone on. Some of the, many of the apostles had been put to death. In fact, maybe all of them at this point in time. John's witnessing. He's saying, look, I was there. I'm giving you a first-hand experience. I want you to go to Psalm 51 with me. I'm not going to look at all the... I have some other passages there. Like the shepherds, when they saw the angels come down at the birth of Christ, they went and told what the Bible says what they had heard and seen. We're going to Psalm 51, David's Psalm of Repentance. I want you to notice what he says here. 
Psalm 51, looking at verse 12. Notice what David says after this experience with Bathsheba, his repentance. And then he says in verse 12, Restore to me the what? The joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Restore my experience with you, Lord, and then I'll be an effective witness. Our experience with Christ, our personal encounter, is our qualification to witness for Him, what He's done in our life. I have Acts 4, it's listed here under, under number 5. On, on page, we're on page 17, by the way, that I'm just kind of going down the list of some Bible examples. Under letter B, number five, when Peter and John were commanded not to stop, uh, uh, not to, should say, not to speak in the name of Jesus or to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, they responded, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So you've got that firsthand experience, seeing and hearing. That is the qualification that the Lord is looking for in you. If you look at the quote there from Desire of Ages, page 340, toward the bottom of the page there, Ellen White quotes John, 1 John 1, 1 through 3, where we were just reading, where John says, what we've seen and heard, we testify to you. She says, as witnesses for Christ, we are to tell what we know. Okay, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we're to tell what we don't know. We're don't, not to tell what we don't have any idea of. God's not qual asking you to t tell what you don't know. He's not worried that you answer every question, tell everything. We are to tell what we know, what we ourselves have seen and heard and felt. If we have been following Jesus step by step, we shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way in which he has led us. We can tell how we have tested his promise and found the promise true. We can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. Notice the next in the bold face. This is the witness for which our Lord calls and for want of which the world is what? Perishing. The greatest witness we have is to tell of what Jesus has done in our lives, how he is transformed, how he has and is transforming our lives. Sometimes we talk about that as our testimony just so you understand. Now, sharing how you came to Christ can be very powerful, but your testimony isn't only how you came to Christ. There are things Christ does for us all the time. There are ways that he lifts our spirits and encourages us, and we, when we tell those things, what that does is it helps people to realize that God really isn't just something out of a book. It's like, I want to believe he's just in the book. I want to believe he's not real, but here's this person who talks to me like he's as real as anything we see. Amen. There's power in that. Amen. It brings everything in the scripture to life. And so the Lord is looking for people to do what we call personal work. Now, personal ministries, the reason we call it that, personal ministries is not something your church does. Are you aware of that? How many personal ministries leaders in here? All right, amen, a handful of you. Personal ministries is not, it's personal. The personal ministries leader isn't just to plan projects. I mean, there are things that we can do in the church, but we call that corporate. That's the church as a whole. But personal ministry is that thing that 
we're each individually called to do because we're followers of Jesus. I've had people say, my church isn't doing anything. Okay, that's fine. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. You're still a disciple of Jesus. And that's the witness above all witnesses that the Lord is calling for. Don't ever feel that you can't do anything. And we talked this morning about how one person who goes about and takes what they have and tells what they know, you'll inspire other people. And the Lord will grow that army of workers. I just want to look at a couple other things in this handout. Um, top of page 18. We're going to, I'll look at two more quotes. There's a bunch of good ones here, but I'm just... Maybe I'll look at three. Um, top of page 18, it says, The death of the missionary spirit. You see that? Go down to the quote just below that from Ministry of Healing under letter A. It says, Everywhere there's a tendency. Do you see that? Everywhere there's a tendency to substitute the work of what? Organizations. That includes the church. The church is an organization. The work of organizations for what? Individual effort. Human wisdom tends to consolidation, to centralization, to the building up of great churches and institutions. Multitudes leave to institutions and organizations the work of benevolence, right? We see somebody who's in need and we say, oh, I gave to that charity organization, I'll let them take care of it. They excuse themselves from contact with the world and their hearts grow cold. They become self-absorbed and unimpressible. Love for God and man dies out of the soul. That's what happens when we aren't actively involved in soul winning. The statement in the book Education, it says, acquaintance, it is acquaintance that awakens sympathy. And sympathy is the spring of effective ministry. You can't have sympathy for somebody you don't know. Acquaintance awakens sympathy. When you're pulling away from any individual effort and you're always giving to some organization and letting them handle it, your heart grows cold. This is what it's talking about. Love for God and man dies out of the soul. Christ commits to his followers an individual work, a work that cannot be done by proxy. Can't put somebody else in charge of it. Ministry to the sick and the poor, the giving of the gospel to the lost, is not to be left to committees or organized charities. Individual responsibility, individual effort, personal sacrifice is the what? The requirement of the gospel. And that quote from education, I actually have it. I didn't notice. I have it right down below there uh, in the middle of the page. It is acquaintance that awakens sympathy. I want you to go to the next quote there on under the revival of personal work. There's a lot of good ones here that I'm not going to go through. They're all talking very similar about the need for revival among God's people of that personal touch where we're sharing Christ, just as the demoniacs did, just as, as his disciples did when he sent them out. Um, actually, I'm going to go to the bottom of the page, the very bottom quote. It says, Your work may accomplish more real good than the more extensive meetings, talking about big evangelistic meetings, if they, the meetings, lack in what kind of effort? Personal. Personal effort. When both are combined with the blessing of God, a more perfect and thorough work may be wrought. But if we ha can have but one part done, let it be the big meetings. No, what do we do? Well, we don't have time for everything. Let's just do a big meeting. 
The personal work is lacking. But this says, if we're going to do one part, let it be the individual labor of opening the scriptures in households, making personal appeals, and talking familiarly with the members of the family, not about things of little importance, but about the great themes of redemption. Let them see that your heart is burdened for the salvation of souls. I'm going to go to one more, top of the next page. We're going to finish with this one. From the book Gospel Workers, page 193, it says, To all who are working with Christ. How many is that? It's all of us here today. Amen? To all who are working with Christ, I would say, wherever you can gain access to people by the fireside. Uh, That's just a way of saying, you know, in in her day, that was where you would be social with people. That's that's like they used to have the front porches. We don't even have those anymore. We have stoops, right? used to have a porch, and people would sit on the porch. Now they sit in front of the TV, so you know, the front step, you can't even hardly stand on it. Anyway, there used to be these, this is what she's talking about, is coming into those social places with people. Wherever you can gain access to the people by the fireside, in that social, in that personal setting, improve your opportunity. Take your Bible and open before them its great truths. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way to the heart. And how do you do that? goes on. By being social and coming close to the people, you may turn the current of their thoughts more readily than by Mark Finley's best sermon. I just put that in there, but that's what it's saying, the most able discourse, right? Doug Batch's best sermon. Oh, you got to hear this? No, you have more ability than, than that great speaker to turn the current of their thoughts. The presentation of Christ in the family, by the fireside, and in small gatherings in private houses is often more successful in winning souls to Jesus than our sermons delivered in the open air to the moving throng or even in halls and churches. My friends, the Lord has brought you here. He is going to do something mighty through you in winning souls to his kingdom. And there will be, as long as you do not lose heart, even this week, (laughs) keep coming, (laughs) there will be souls in the kingdom of God because you said, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your promises. We thank you for the testimonies given here by the servant of the Lord. We thank you for the testimonies of scripture. Lord, we thank you for those who are willing to go before us, people who are weak and flawed just like we are, but they trusted in you and we have their examples in the pages of scripture as people whose lives were transformed and who won souls to your kingdom. Now, Lord, we pray as you are no respecter of persons, you will do the same through each one of us. Bless us here today, now, as we go to our supper and throughout the evening. May our hearts be stirred by the messages we hear. And Lord, bring us back here in the morning, ready to learn again and to be trained and equipped that we may be effective in winning souls to your kingdom. We ask and pray all of this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.